0: Sections on interpretation, talking story with guides and interpreters. I am Tim Merriman, your host from the Big Island of Hawaii. Today I'm talking to Gabby Plumaso from Paris, France. Gabby is an interpretive trainer, an entrepreneur, a biologist, and an interpreter of natural and cultural heritage. Well, great to see you, Gabby. Would you remind me where we first met? Because I'm thinking it's a trainer's course, but maybe it was somewhere else.
1: Actually, is uh, still fresh in my memory. <laughs> yeah, it was in Arizona. Yeah. There was a trainer trainers course, and I just I, I when I found it and it was like ah this is what I want. So it was in Arizona, and it was a very big group actually. It wasn't a library actually. I guess it was like a big library.
0: Oh, well, library. So it was the one up near Phoenix, north of Phoenix.
1: Yes, yes,
0: okay. We did two that I recall in Arizona, one down in Tucson area and the other one up in the Phoenix area. So
1: I think probably it was that one I just remembered, and I didn't know how to get there, but then <laughs> it was very nice. It was a very nice and big group, and then I had a chance to meet you and and Lisa, and it was very nice.
0: wonderful. I'm always confused when I talk with you because I know you live in Paris, France. But most of your work is in Latin America, at least in really? that I know of. <laughs> so why are you in Paris? I,
1: I'm a, I'm a mixed culture person, of course. Um, Franco-Spanic person who was actually born in Mexico, which gives me a passport. And I was wonderful because I can come to the country <laughs> easily. And then... Um, Coming back and forth from different times, that was very nice. So I had the chance to learn more about, I think, both worlds and the culture. And then um, that that was wonderful. That that was something that he really, I really liked it. But interpretation was important part for me, and since I study biology. So then interpretation was was something that I wanted, but I didn't know that I wanted (laughs) until I understood what it was. So then um, I studied biology. So biology was like, wow. And of course uh, I wanted to study marine biology and the Caribbean was a dream and yeah, right. All of that And, and the jungle, wow, that was wonderful. So then when I studied biology and I learned many things, I had the chance to work in some places in, in, the, yeah, in the Caribbean. And that's one of the things that um, really, it's part of my life to, to, Latin, to work for Latin America. All of these areas are wonderful. So the other part of my life and the Europe side, um, yeah, it's also important. And I, well, the plan was to, to stay in Spain, but my husband's French. Oh. So then, <laughs> yeah, it was like a very funny part too, because he was like, but we can live in Latin America or we can go and live in Spain or we can go and live in Australia, but France. And I'm like, no, I like France. <laughs> yeah, and then um, of course that, that's like a, yeah, like home now and for a, for a bit already. And so, yeah, that's, that's how it happened. But I think I'm still very attached to the Latin America and Caribbean part. And France, the opportunity to keep working on Latin America and the Caribbean, it was because of the French islands. I was like, yeah, Martinique, Guadeloupe. When I was in Guadeloupe and I discovered all of these beautiful places too, I was like, okay, this is my place. So then I have the chance, yeah.
0: So you speak French fluently as well as Spanish? and English? Yes,
1: yes, and my own language, I guess, but <laughs> yeah. Yes, I studied French,
0: I studied French uh, two years in high school and a year in college, and then in 1968, I lived in Spain all summer, and I didn't speak a word of Spanish when I arrived. When I got back to the United States, I passed the ETS doctoral exam in Spanish, so that, that was just from total immersion for two and a half months, but when I was in Paris, the last week of my summer in Europe, I tried out my high school French on people, and that was not very successful. As you can imagine, oh. they, they they laughed or looked away and uh, kind of dismissed me as a French speaker. Oh, oh no. I understand. No worries.
1: Oh, it's okay.
0: When you said you are in Mexico, where at in Mexico?
1: Well, I was born in Merida, is the Yucatan Peninsula. So, yeah, from one peninsula to another peninsula, yeah, I, I stay here for, because I'm here actually, but let me tell you that when I said I'm here I'm here is because I'm here in, actually in Merida, because I came for a CIG training course, um, which was wonderful. <laughs> so yeah. when I, I was here, yeah, the, that was a time of my life, and then another part of my life over there, and then here again, but yeah. That was, that's, that's what I have, I've learned different things. And then that is funny because then I'm like, uh, I can be, one day I can be New Zealand. No, no okay, okay. i kidding. I really like to uh, learn and adapt from, uh, well, the place, uh, I mean, and learn from the place I'm, I'm, I'm at the moment. So,
0: yeah. I, I studied biology. I did a bachelor's in zoology and master's in botany. And I thought I was going to be a marine biologist. I went to Berkeley to work on a PhD and my major professor was an algae, brown and red algae guy. And he retired the semester I got there and said, they're not going to replace me. So I, I, I quit the doctoral program and went back to Illinois and became an environmental educator and then a park interpreter. So uh, biology was my roots like yours. And so how did you first get into doing interpretation if you came at it from a biological degree?
1: Yeah, I I really like of course everything that has to do with nature. But it was something that I uh, I really admire. I mean like wow, life and everything so it was like wonderful. I I was working for a conservation project of a white um, wildlife and was wonderful. And of course, during that time, I had to interact with people because the people that were coming and, and learning more about the, the place where we were working for conservation of uh, sea turtles and uh, other things. So we have to interact with them and tell them and teach them and, and, and show them the work that we were doing. So then after I also worked for um the reintroduction of white life, like reco- yeah, the the, the animals that you know they were like um, confiscated actually. Or, or or they were in captivity on they or they needed like a bit of of care to after reintroduce them to their natural habitat. So I have was I was working on a program like that too. And I remember that I had to go through um very big, um, it's like a river lake close, I mean, next to the ocean. Okay.
0: Um, estuarine? Estuarium? I don't know how to say it. I say estuarine. I'm not sure how <laughs> to be. Oh, right. okay.
1: <laughs> well, that's That's the
0: Estuarine? Maybe. Yeah, stream. where it comes into the ocean and you have kind of shallow water with brackish water with mixed salt and fresh water.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's that's sometimes the words. I'm like, okay, I have to I, oops, I have to learn how to speak Latin probably. That will be easier. <laughs> well, I was, I was working on this. Um, uh, every morning I had to take a, a kayak and check a few things and it was wonderful and then I was just saying this is something that I want to share with everybody so of course I didn't know about interpretation I thought it was environmental education that what I could do but at the same time it was not quite what I wanted because I wanted to be in the place going there with the people and bring them and, and see this is this is what I do and I want you to see it the, right there, and that is how I, 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 I got that part. And I'm like, oh, there is something, called interpretation. <laughs> That's wow. exactly what I want.
0: I relate to that because I, when I was a doctoral student at Berkeley, I volunteered at Point Reyes Bird Observatory, and we were banding birds. But I was really aware that as much as Banding the birds was fascinating, holding the birds in the hand and taking data and learning from them, that I loved leading people around the trail to see the misnet operation to capture the birds and uh, explaining the kind of research they were doing there. And so it was my introduction to interpretation, and I really didn't have a word for it. I just thought I was doing some sort of nature guiding.
1: Yeah, nature guiding educational programs. That's what I thought too. But the ones that I discovered, I was like, okay, this is it, this is what I want. <laughs> and I was looking for the program or something related to, it was, it, it took me a bit of time until I found that, that amazing course. And I'm not saying it's just because it's you, it's just like, it was wonderful because it really connected everything that I had in my mind. So, Of course, it was wonderful too. I'm not. It was very great, but I'm not just because it's like, oh, this is exactly what I wanted to do, and so I'm not that uh, cuckoo. How
0: did you hear? How did you hear about it? How did you learn about our trainer's course?
1: I I think I was checking for different courses, and you know also the uh, Latin American things because that was something that in Europe is not really happening. Uh, with the name interpretation, sure. well, now of course it's now it, now it is now it is. But back then, I think I'm talking about 2002, probably. I don't I don't count time much because if not, I realize how old I am now. But um, yeah, it was um, I was uh, looking looking for more information, and then I saw that I there was a, an organization related to interpretation. It was in AI. And I'm like, what? And I immediately went there and I started to to check the programs. I found it by email and then searching a little bit. Email, no, sorry, by the the web and and searching a little bit about it. And when I found it, I was like, I think I saw a course, for the CIG course, first. And I was like, that's very interesting, but then. Learning more about it and see how great it was. Like because for me it was like this is finally I found a identity. Probably not my cultural identity. Probably not yet, but something that <laughs> uh, that really fits. So then um, I was reading more uh, an AI web web page website. Uh, back then and i was like hey this is very important this is very interesting because the people uh, here well in 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 latin america and the people in europe they don't know about this so i i i was reading more and then i thought i could do this i can train people what and then i was like this is what i want so when i saw there was a train the trainers course and their requirements i was like that that i I took it immediately, immediately, and that's how I flew to, to Arizona.
0: To I don't take know if you remember this or not, but our very first CIG course ever, the test course, December of 2000 was in Mexico.
1: Really? I, I didn't know that.
0: It was in La Paz, Mexico, really? Baja del Sur, Maria Elena Muriel, who's a trainer in Baja, was the very first person to give a CIG talk in a CIG course.
1: Amazing, amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a strange situation because we were getting ready to test the materials that Lisa had led the development of and uh, Lisa Brochu, my wife, training partner. partner, um, And we were talking about where to do it. And we got a call from a tourism council of some sort in uh, uh, Baja del Sur of Mexico. And they said, we have a number of guides, some indigenous guides, some kind of tour company folks that would like to take, we hear you're developing a course, we would like to take it. And we went, huh, I guess we could test it there. And it, it was interesting because it was also a test of can we do this with maybe indigenous guides who don't have a lot of formal education. Can we do it with people who are working out of their second language? It ended up being a very fun course and a great test for the first time. And we made some great friends at that very first um, activity and, and and knew we were onto something that was going to be useful. So Mexico was the, was the start. Was the first- yeah. yeah,
1: so there's something then <laughs> um, that's amazing. Yeah, I think I think it's um it's a very rich country. The, the the guides and well in the tourism field, they they they're really representing their culture, nature. So I think that there was a probably and still a big, big need of more training in Mexico. So that's amazing. So I'm I'm glad that happened then, <laughs> well, yeah.
0: I'm curious, you say that our course was a, a value, was an influence on you. What were some of the other influences in developing your professional acumen in, in this career?
1: I feel that like it's like a big family and I can talk openly and I appreciate that. I didn't know, but I have in my personal life also, I'm very involved with interpretation and i'm I'm like learning constantly, just probably it was not called interpretation like with the word that we use because of of the, um of because of our professional field but i I grew up also as Jehovah's witnesses, and then we have a school that is called the theocratic school that is pretty much interpretation. <laughs> yes. Is communication techniques actually sure. communication that touch the mind and the hearts of people, that but to not really push some, I mean, or, or really just to not just give answers but help people to to find them, but but find all of these uh, probably um, well answers or or things that they want to learn, but to not tell them. You have to know this the way it is, like this, and that's no option. No, it's more like, okay, let's reason about something. And then every week, every week I had to go to school to learn more about how to do it, to talk with um, poetry, like with a purpose, with like an organization. So, of course, it's not exactly the same names, but it's very communication skills and developing
0: yeah well, when you say trying to make a connection with both the mind and the heart, you know that's that's interpretation getting people to think as Sam Ham uh, points out. So did you get a hold of Sam's books or Sam's book early on? Yeah, both the first big blue book <laughs>
1: yeah. and then this new one and sure. and yeah. Yes, yes. I've I've been working on that book too. And of course, Sam Hammond's been also a very, very important source of inspiration and well, learning.
0: Yeah. Sam has such a unique career in uh being in Costa Rica and writing on that book. He was not only uh working in a spanish-speaking country he was thinking in spanish and he was a lot of that book has that feeling of kind of a texture of a spanish cultural communication that made him a very unique author you know for i i've been with him in nicaragua and el salvador when he was training in spanish and i was astonished because my spanish is terrible i no,
1: it's not i've no, heard no, you
0: no. lo siento it, it's not something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I did some teaching in his course in Nicaragua in Spanish, and I also happened to be, have caught something from a little water supply, and uh, so I was not feeling very well. And the combination of trying to think in Spanish and uh, deliver the goods, and then run up to my room and be sick and then run back down and join the course. It was an interesting experience, but I learned so much from Sam in that course. It was great. I I, I think
1: that's why I understand it then. I understand the book because... (laughs) that's amazing. I was in Costa Rica two weeks ago because um, the first stop was from Paris to Costa Rica and Costa Rica um, here, Mexico. And then I'm coming back to Paris uh, at the end of the week. Um, and it was amazing, of course. Costa Rica, I think, is is a place where you can feel the interpretation.
0: Have you done any CIG courses in in Paris or in Europe?
1: Yes. Well, let me tell you a little bit about it because that's a I think it's important. Yeah. Um, the the CIG courses in Europe and Paris. Yeah, this is is very very rich country, of course, there's a lot of material to work. Um, One of the little. I can say one of the barriers, of course, is the language. And the meaning of the words are probably not. Easy to translate, but. There is interpretation uh, Well, talking about France, but there, they call them differently. The interpreters are the they're called they're, they're called um, it can be the animateur scientifique or animateur pédagogique, that is an interpreter. That that's the work of an interpreter because they help all of the visitors that um, the visitors that are coming to museums or zoos or aquariums facilitate all of the um, well information of the interesting things uh, at, 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 the pla- at the place so they're doing interpretation just they didn't know that it was interpretation until <laughs> we started to to work on that and to say well there is a technique actually and there is a certification for this and they're very yes we want this Sorry, <laughs> the, the course, the CIG courses that, that I've taught there um, are wonderful. And I noticed that there is always a different a different way to teach. I, I think I have never taught this course the same way. Uh, each each group really. The each group is unique. And the levels of uh, in uh, what what they know or, or the understanding of, are different, and so it's really guided by the audience, by the participants. But it, it's amazing, also. In in, uh, I have the chance to to train some of uh, uh, interpreters working uh, the Louvre Museum, and they express how different it is. How how, um, it's it's, it's such a big museum. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's enormous. It's, it's, it's the Louvre. Uh, well, it's, it's a it's a big museum, of course, and it's not easy for someone going to the Louvre the first time and where I'm going to start, I mean, it's so big, but the interpreters of some of the colleagues now that are working there, they're really creating amazing things and just... People really f- they 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 feel well. It's what they share also that the experience is completely different. They don't feel that lost when they visit a museum that big, and that that's amazing.
0: Am I correct that Ecomos, the international museum uh, collective, identifies interpreters as narrators? And that to me sounds like lecturing rather than having a conversation. And yes. you wrote about that, didn't you? Didn't you write a paper? Yes,
1: I. Yes, because um, in the tourism field too, the the term is um, guide conférencier, um. which is giving lectures and like a conference. Yeah. And so, like I said, the museum is is too big, and 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 try to remember 10 percent of that lecture is just what
0: yeah a lot of stuff
1: it's hard so yeah and um yeah there is a there is some uh, of of these uh, articles that are talking about yeah the the narrators lecturers that are not really audience oriented of course it's I've been there looking and observing the all of these different activities and see all of these uh, big groups of people following someone without really having that interaction or anything. And I'm not talking, I don't want to judge anybody or say that it's bad or wrong. It's just yeah. things of a better program or interpretive program the experience of a, a person that has traveled probably hours and miles <laughs> to get to a place like the louvre i mean i think they could they could um have a better experience if it was a better planned interpretive program
0: yeah. for them the worst guides i ever hear are are lecturing they're having they're not asking questions they're not trying to find out who their audience is through their questioning so that they can make it more personal and more engaging and uh i understand it like you i still have respect for them because they've been trained to do it that way but when i think of the power of asking questions and then continuing to make what you say relevant to that person or those persons because you know a little bit about them and you know what they already know or what they think i mean what a what a difference.
1: Right. I, I think it is completely different. Even the expression, even if the expression of a of someone um, after a, a lecture, they're like they're really I mean I I, I, I get the, the idea that, that they're lost. <laughs> yeah. And then of course there is not a chance to ask. Questions. the groups are too big the things that have to move too fast there is too crowded too many people and and it's just one thing and another there is no link between the the, the objects in the museum or I mean the exhibits nothing right so there is no there is no touching of course or smelling there's no sense i mean there's the senses are just i mean they're not there <laughs> so yes. no, yeah that's, that's something yeah that's something that i've been working and then introducing inter- interpretation in europe of course now there is a, a, an organization interpret europe but is 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 a lot of work and especially in in a country like france the the, the it's another culture completely mm. different and the language and so it's hard to to follow uh, programs in English, for example. So there's a lot of work to do over there. And I don't know how I'm going to um, uh, clone myself mm-hmm. or, <laughs> to work the French field and the Latin America with the I-File 40. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but we're working on it.
0: <laughs> well, and I haven't touched on that yet. You work with a Latin American network in Caribbean. Yes. And... Um, I'll get the name wrong. Tell me the name formally is.
1: Because it's Heritage Interpretation for Latin America on the Caribbean Professional Network, but in Spanish is Interpretación del Patrimonio para América Latina y el Caribe. Perfect. So it's interpretation. (laughs) The I is interpretation.
0: I think the interesting thing is our profession kind of evolves in some places in parks and outdoor arenas, and then uh, over in the museum field, it's evolving a little differently. I've often said, what a missed opportunity the art museums very often don't get into interpretation. They'll give you the date that something's painted, who the painter, the artist was. Maybe they'll tell you a little bit about the artist's background, but um, in Paris, I had such a different experience in the Louvre versus going to the Rodin Museum. And uh-huh. the Rodin Museum was much more personal to, it, to me because I'd read the book about it, Naked Came I, And uh, I was fascinated by seeing these, the Thinker and the Burgers of Calais and these incredible sculptures because i knew something about the life of the artist and i knew what a challenge he had had in getting to be the sculptor he became and, you know even though i've seen the mona lisa and and many of the other incredible art treasures of the louvre i don't really know any of the background behind them and i didn't didn't have that conversation with any guide there
1: you know what it was sad um when i was uh talking with talking to some of the guys over there and talking about interpretation, how it can make a difference. They said, interpretation is basic. It's, it's too basic. We don't need this. Because they thought that interpretation was just explaining that painting. Yeah. So, and I was like, no, I'm sorry. This is not what I meant. <laughs> but then... Um, it's a bit sad, but uh, I think it's it's worth uh, talking about that. Yes, I I, I, I got a very, very terrible bad answers about that. Like no, this is we don't need this. And the and the very bad uh, answer was I'm gonna. Um, is it is it? Um, why is it important? It means more money or what? I mean, like because some of them, of course, they don't work probably in a park or site or, mu- or directly to, to you yeah, know in, in a museum but they are more like a freelance and they're they're saying so why I'm going to invest my time in learning more techniques if that is not going to help me to make more money and I'm like okay so you really don't care about the people and you don't really care about the resources I got that And it was so hard. It was like, oh, I was like a bit disappointed. I was disappointed. I felt a bit hurt. And I'm like, come on. Just because you don't understand what interpretation is.
0: I might argue, Gabby, that uh, if you're really effective at making a connection with your guest in the resource, that it improves the tips if you're a freelance guide. That they're more likely to reward you for that. But I... I've done some uh, guiding here in Hawaii with boats going out with dolphins and that sort of thing. And I, I was really aware that when you could have a good interpretive conversation with people, that very often at the end of it, they gave a tip that was reflective of their engagement. So uh, I I hate for that to be the bottom line that the only thing we think about is money. But I'm I am aware that private guides very often have to make a living off the tips because they're not being paid very much.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, it's true. I and I and I think it's it's something that I have to to think about and to learn more about to give a better answer, like what you just said. And then after I also tried <laughs> um, working for uh, the cruise ships. I work for some cruise ship lines as a guide. Oh really then yes it was it was wonderful to to experience that the connections made it was not only with the resource or so of course even if you try to not be the center of any of the attention, sometimes they get also connected and that is nice, but there are some connections with also local communities, local people, they probably are beyond the, the experience, and that's wonderful. And, but if you don't uh, give that chance, that will never happen. And probably um, they would like to, some of like the principles of interpretation said, right? They, they're going to engage in a way that they might um, participate more. Even we're not there anymore, and they're keeping that connection. I think is wonderful, and 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 of course, if they give you good tips, which is great, <laughs> and then you you can see that they I mean, or or you, or you hope that there is something that will start after their experience, interpretive experience. That is also great, but. You're right. I mean, of course, we have to think about that part. too. you know, like then how how interpretation will improve also the earnings of someone that needs to work uh, as a freelance and make money. Yeah.
0: Well, what I hear you saying, what I hear you saying about how you train is you said every group that you train is approached differently. And that's good interpretation. That's applying our approach to communication, to teaching, to training, recognizing that that group of individuals in front of you is different than the group you had last week and that I need to be relevant for them, not kind of giving some sort of CIG course that I've memorized and I just spit it out.
1: Yeah, yeah. And things that, that you, you're designed you and Lisa and the, the NAI uh, team uh, then designed this book that is, is something that it helps us to guide the training, but at the same time, give us that freedom to manage it in a way that will fit the, the, the participants. That's amazing, but without losing that um, uh, method, the, the, of what are the, the key ingredients that are necessary to cover. So that is, that is wonderful, but yes, that's, that's definitely something that I've learned through all of these years and different uh, backgrounds. And that's another thing because I've trained people from different backgrounds and it's not only in US, which means Spain and France and Latin America and the French islands. And so, ooh, I'm completely different. And then the examples that you have to learn, Tim, that's something that like, okay, I had to make, I think the hardest part is that one, make it relevant. Okay, so now I have to learn of the examples. So, which means that I have to go and eat a lot of the local food and experience. <laughs> so I have to sacrifice for that.
0: <laughs> I've, uh, We've had the pleasure of working in 27 different countries and, oh my gosh when we were in Italy training with people from eight different countries doing the trainer's course in a World Heritage Valley in Italy, uh, the food was incredible. The people were incredible <laughs> Incredible, also. They were wonderful. And um, so, well, I envy what you're doing. Tell me uh, what nations are engaged with your IPAL network that you're working network. with yeah. how are you communicating with them?
1: wow that's that's a that's a challenge because we had to communicate um spanish uh french portuguese and a little bit of english Wow! but then there is a little bit of um creole
0: yeah. french
1: creole dutch uh, so it's a challenge so but now of course we are focused on spanish french portuguese English and Creole. And now developing also uh, the sign language, which is also uh, something that I was working on before, IPOL. And so now we are trying to merge also the sign language into the IPOL to to make it more uh, inclusive. But from Mexico uh, to the Patagonia, there is a there is a very nice uh response from all of these folks and colleagues working or wanted to learn more about interpretation yeah you from say all Pat-
0: of when you say Patagonia is Patagonia both Argentina and Chile or is it just one
1: no both yes people from Chile it's
0: southern South America yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah so from yeah the top of uh, Mexico all the way down and the little islands and their little islands too the islands of the islands
0: <laughs> I had 18 people download a podcast from Chile and that shocked me oh. because I know no one in Chile and so
1: <laughs>
0: you know, maybe yes
1: some- we're actually co- thinking about a conference uh in Chile because then Wow, they're they're very good. They're oh. <laughs> very good interpreters over there.
0: Do you have yes. uh, participants from most of the South American nations, or in Central American nations, or just a scattering of people?
1: Well, um, now there uh, there there's people from from everywhere. Uh, I think there's a lot of people from Mexico. Definitely, is one of. I mean, if I if we if we check the numbers, if I check the numbers, I think the all of the work that have been done and the fact that we're close closer to us, I think that's a big group of professionals, and also the work that another good friend is doing. You know, um, Antonieta Jimenez with Interpat MX. Uh, so there's there is a lot of um from Mexico, and then from center, Central America, yeah, from Costa Rica. Um, a lot of people from Costa Rica too, that's very nice. And, and now that we were there promoting the CIG and had a chance to talk with some, some of the friends in, um, in the Costa Rica and the university, so more people are, are joining. And then, mm. yeah, it goes all the way down, Venezuela, Colombia, um Argentina also a lot of great work done by the our 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 friends in Argentina uh Brazil is amazing (laughs) so that's another point that is um that that we are working on the 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 materials in Portuguese Portuguese is not a I mean if you try to find something about interpretation in Portuguese is is very difficult right yeah Yeah, but it's there everywhere, so everyone
0: is welcome. Yeah, I know that uh, Sam's book is now, his second book is now in 13 languages, so, and I don't know whether Portuguese is one of them or not, but I'm aware, uh, used to have a trainer that would come up to Colorado State University, uh, or a professor who was from Brazil, and he said, we really need interpretation in Brazil, but we don't yet have the infrastructure to do that, so you're your network is starting to create that infrastructure throughout Latin America, and uh, that's great. Do you have an annual conference?
1: Yes, um, that's that's what we're thinking about Um but It was virtual us.
0: recently. Yes, Last time,
1: yes. Last time was virtual, and it was it was very good. But now I think it's important to to now go and do it. We'll 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 call you. Okay, and, and say <laughs> that to everybody to hear. <laughs> I,
0: I love um, the fact that Zoom and virtual conferences has brought us together from around the world in unique ways. I'm really aware because we had a wonderful young lady from uh, Moscow, Russia, in a course recently. We've had folks from. Canada, United Kingdom, uh, Philippines, getting up at two in the morning to take an interpretation, an interpretive guide course. I'm just astonished that they are willing to do that. Uh, But I'm also aware that in my 50-year career in this field, I've gotten to be in the same room with a lot of incredible people and learn from them, and that the pandemic threw us into this other mode, but now we can get back to meeting each other in a real physical location. And the cool thing about doing it with your IPAL network is like Europe, every time you change countries, you change cultures and you have, <laughs> right. you have so many indigenous people in Central and South America that uh, the cultures vary within a country. Mexico is not one culture it's the cultures of the indigenous people along with them, the spanish influence
1: right Maybe. that's 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 amazing well if you if you let me mention about this um how do we start it
0: with yeah. the yeah well, how did you start it
1: <laughs> well no i think it was um of course at the beginning the work was um thought and, and to, to do it just for the French, French, uh, French network that we still working on that the French, uh, network. Um, but working the French network and the islands, the French islands is what we are like, wait, but the friend there is French islands that are in the Caribbean. So, but then there is also a lot of need in this. The Spanish islands, like uh, Dominicana, Republica Dominicana, the Cuba, Cuba, you know, they really want to connect. They can't connect sometimes because they don't have the connections.
0: Right.
1: So all of this part, it was like, but we, we have to do something too. And the, and the good thing is that we're going to develop all of these uh, network uh, systems and all of the software and everything that is needed in France, and then we can support other countries. So when we said, okay, we're going to develop all of these um, efforts for the Caribbean, we said we can probably do this also for Latin America, because there is a need of literature and articles and teaching in Spanish and Portuguese also. that's why it started from France because it says what are you doing why are you are in France doing something for latin america well the truth is that first was france then was the caribbean then was like latin america needs it too and we speak the languages i i had i had a, all of these uh connections with the with the mexican uh part and i'm like well of course we can do this <laughs> So then I had all of this support of um, our, um, the organization that we had in France, and it says, "Yeah, okay, let's do, let's test it out and see if we if we can if it works." And then how we started with the help of um, other good friends in Mexico. One of them is a school for tourist guides. Another one is. They're like people that, that are being working for museums. And then we started to talk. And then everything says, green light, let's do it. And then we started. And then what we decided, Tim, it was that we cannot really create an association. I said, okay, but we're going to be the ones uh, working. And we said, we have to do something more like a network where we can cooperate, like more, like everybody will do <laughs> their part and like a big community. And then um, they said, okay, let's do it that way. And it worked, it worked. And then one of the things is that we really want to support like, like you said, there is so many great people in all of these countries and we want to support that and to give them that voice that sometimes if you're alone is it, not so loud sometimes, right? So and and then we said we want we don't want to create uh, our own certifications you know like IPOL certificate no we have to work with we know already exist like the cig and find all of that collaboration and if some other uh friends wanted to you know teach what they are teaching in their countries they can do it too
0: sure
1: so we said that's why we said it will be a, a professional network. And that's how I started. (laughs) And that's how I started. And then, um, of course, I think interpreters, we are kind of, like I said, like a big family that we like to work together.
0: (laughs) I think you're right. I've said a couple of times, when I started, I felt like the lone ranger. I was a park ranger and an interpreter, and I didn't meet anybody else doing what I was doing. So, it was hard to have that professional conversation. When I found out there was such a thing as back then, AIN, the Association of Interpretive Naturalists and Western Interpreters Association, I literally was in love because getting together with them once a year and meeting all of these thoughtful, intelligent people that shared ideas so willingly, it it lit me up. And of course, it made me want to work in the profession. And I, I had the honor of Serving National Association for interpretation as executive director for 17 years, and I met a lot of people like you, and so that that was part of the magic of that job is that I met these incredible people. And I know you're aware that many times in some of these countries, there's just one or two or three people that understand what interpretation is and they're trying to light the fire. Right, if you can help them with training materials, with encouragement, with occasional conferences, it makes a real difference.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you, because listening to you saying this um, to me, it's really like, wow, okay, so we're doing something, we're, we're, we're doing something good, we're probably going the good way, <laughs> thank you, it means a lot. This last CIG, we had a great group, and then we learn every time, right? Yeah. After a CIG course, we're learning more. I, I like to take some of their examples to so after share it to, to another group. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I see how brilliant that they, they are, and I think that's that's something that is important to give them that recognition, to give them that um, certifications that give them more credibility and presence and and of course, um, we're going to keep fighting the, 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 French, <laughs> the French side to, to, to make it interpretation more to think what they understand, what it really is. I'm not saying that, that because I felt a little bit, little bit bad of, of some of the answers over there, uh, it means that, no, we're not going to do it. No, I think the same way that Latin America, there's also great people over there that they also need that voice, and that we hope we do it. We can. We hope that we can keep working together and and reach that. But I I also I I I also think that I don't know if you thought that it will be this big when you were like, oh, we're going to make all of these work workbooks and create a
0: different no, course. <laughs> no, we didn't, and yes, we did. And I'll say this: um, we I think we thought it would attract hundreds of people. It's really up in the tens of thousands because we trained, Lisa and I trained a thousand trainers in our 12 years of uh, doing the train the trainers course for NAI. And those only about half of those people went ahead and earned the trainers credential and started training. So when you have 500 trainers on the ground out there doing two three four five courses a year it begins to have a wonderful multiplication effort but I admire what you're doing because um we didn't have the skills to take it to a lot of other cultures and you have this unique background I you know I never thought about the French connection for Latin America for uh the islands the Caribbean islands <laughs> I've never think- been I've never been to Martinique or any of the French-speaking islands. So I forget that the Caribbean isn't just Spanish or just <laughs> Portuguese, uh, that, that there's this rich melange of, of cultures, of languages, of uh, historical shared historical experience with the early Spanish settlers, and in some cases uh, invaders. You're doing an amazing yes. thing in connecting these people, oh
1: thank you. It really means a lot, I know right? It's, um and also coming it I, some people you know sometimes they said, oh, maybe because of um all of these uh, colonies and the conquest it it called my attention to, but of course, like I said, I have both sides of the story. <laughs> I have the side of the story of the colonizer and then they have the other part of the story of the, how is life when you live in the, in the country that was colonized. So I have both. Um, I, I think that there is so much uh, opportunities there to, to, to bridge all of that and to understand why we are the way we are now <laughs> and then connect, right? I think that connection is a great thing. And then, um, uh, and then uh, yesterday I was talking with another friend that that is a very great, uh, CIG now, that he was saying that that um, the learning about different cultures, it really helps you to even if you don't identify with one, that's a lack of parenthesis sometimes because you're learning so many different things, but but it helps it helps to to be that one that you can say, yeah. Uh, It's possible. Let's do it. And I'm saying this, sim because um, I know that some people feel a bit afraid of saying certain things about our culture, but it's not really how that the people in that culture feels about. They might not feel offended or anything, but you think they will. And then you don't want to cross that little bridge sometimes and discover that great opportunities to, oh, actually, that's cool and connect and act so I, I think it's possible. And I think, and I, I thank you, thank you so much for telling me that because sometimes I doubt. And I like, oh, I don't know, I don't know if this is right.
0: Now, you know somebody has to be a bridge. Bridging cultures is not easy, and you're making connections all over the world. So I admire you. Great to see you again. And we've talked a time or two. But I really didn't get deep enough into understanding what your IPAL network is. And you've, you've helped me understand that today. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Yeah,
1: well, thanks. Yeah, I was just the one saying, we had to do it. But then there is a lot of work behind. I mean, there is a team of people working behind this, of course. One, I cannot say one by one. <laughs> Well, just if you let me just, I'm going to introduce very fast, my like myself. Sometimes I said, hi, thank you for your invitation. Yes, I'm like, you know, Gabby or people call me Gabriela, but I'm normally Gabby, what I prefer.
0: I just want to say I, I hope our paths cross again, and I look forward to catching up the next time. Hasta luego.
1: Gracias.
0: Thanks for joining Gabby and I today on Reflections on Interpretation, Talking Story with Guides and Interpreters. Thanks also to Mark Stofel for use of Huddy's World, a beautiful mandolin cut from his 101 album. Next week, I'll be with Dr. Ted Cable, a retired professor from Kansas State University, an avid birder, and a wonderful trainer himself. And so I hope you'll join us for that. Lisa Brochu will be offering an interpretive planning course August 21st to 23rd via Zoom. You can learn more about that at heartfeltassociates.com. Aloha, have a wonderful day.